Hi everyone, I'm Nadia Rosemond with Adam Kewen. And you're tuning in to the first episode of Relay Essay, a podcast showcasing student affairs across Canada. The Relay part is as we interview um, colleagues across our country, they recommend people to continue the conversation with, thereby creating a relay of conversation and sharing. We're so excited to have this particular interview to kick off season seven, and it is with the amazing Christine Arnold. And so I remember, I think the first time I met Christine was at a conference, it might have been a caucus conference or at ACPA, and I was immediately struck by her energy, um, her positivity, and she just is kind of that person you want to have as your, your faculty member in your program. She's just so... Um, uh, student-centered and so passionate about her work and I think if you listen to the interview it will not take you long to pick up on how committed she is to the success of her students. Amazing I'm so glad to uh, be able to listen to this with you. So and Christine uh, we were able to record it. Christine works at Memorial University of Newfoundland so I'm also really excited to kick off this season um, on the East Coast. East Side! Amazing! <laughs> Enjoy! will declare that I'm not the type to have many years. It's worth all the shares, the number one podcast student affairs. Want to hear what they have to say, along with all the guests that are popping on the way. Without further delay, it's me, they, yes, hey. Great. So we're started. Can you tell us your name? Sure. I'm Christine Arnold. And Christine Arnold, what do you do? Where do you work? Tell me everything. <laughs> okay, so a little bit about myself. Um, I work at Memorial University um, of Newfoundland, and I work there in the post-secondary studies program. It's really quite exceptional because although I look at higher education policy and curriculum and governance, uh, the majority of my work is actually involved in student services and affairs. And so I teach courses in that area, largely in the graduate program, but I also do teach some undergrad uh, courses as well. Amazing. So, um, and so we're coming at you live right now. You're, you're in St. John's, Newfoundland right now. <laughs> yes, I am. We've had amazing weather. Uh, I have to say it's a bit of a reverse because I'm from Ontario and I've heard that you've had quite a bit of snow, whereas we have been having some incredible weather. It's going to be 12 degrees tomorrow, if you can believe it. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's, <laughs> yeah, today is just kind so of St. cold John's and sloppy. Is warm and lovely and a bit of a reverse. Yeah. And how long have you been out at Munn? Sure. So I've been at Munn uh, a little over three years now. I started in September um, of 2016, and I had come from the University of Toronto at OISE at that time. I was involved in a, a postdoc, actually, at that time when I made the transition here uh, into the assistant professorship role. And so it was a really great transition, I have to say, and I've been able to continue working with a lot of the folks at the University of Toronto at OISE, but also across Canada, because I think when you leave Ontario, there's you unique, uh, you know, research objective that happens in terms of broadening your work across Canada and making sure that it really counts um, across many provinces. Nice. So let's maybe go back to like the very beginning. Where did you grow up? 
Sure. So I actually grew up in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, was where I was born. And so I was born in the city. Uh, my parents were both from there, but they moved very quickly. I was only five years old, um, hadn't quite started school yet, and they decided to haul us out to the country in the middle of nowhere, actually. They um, <laughs> bought a lot to build a house in the middle of, uh, you know, 37 acres of woods. And we grew up there. So it was really interesting because I have one brother. Um, he's younger than me by about two and a half years. And he and I are really close because when you grow up in the country yeah. and your neighbors are, you know, kilometers, kilometers away down the road, um, it's really interesting because your sibling becomes your best friend. But interestingly enough, my parents have such great ties to Hamilton that we continue to, you know, all of our sports and all of our hobbies were in Hamilton. So I have to say we, I was a very avid taekwondo um, as well as a soccer and volleyball player. And we would go into Hamilton um, to play all of these sports. So it was funny. My parents moved to the country, but they still had this affinity, I think, for Hamilton. <laughs> well, Hamilton is like a pretty great place to be and lots of things to do. How far out of the city were you? So we ended up moving about a half hour out of the city. Uh, we ended up out in uh, Haldeman County, it's called. So a little um, town called Canfield. Uh, there's not even a stoplight, uh, I have to say. <laughs> it's uh, really, really small. My um, elementary school actually closed down because there were only, I think, about 12 people in my graduating grade 8 class. And so it was so small that the school closed years later. Um, but it was, yeah, really quite quite um, exceptional living out there because, like you said, Hamilton has lots of activities. And so that was nice to have it pretty close, 30 minutes away um, with all of our family. But also then we were kind of thrust into this, you know, new area to meet, uh, you know, new people as well and had lovely neighbors and the community was really great out in the country. I think you find, I've noticed in moving here from Toronto, I love Toronto, but I have to say St. John's has this really wonderful community um, and culture that really brings me back to my childhood in that kind of you know smaller arena where you really get to know everybody and they protect each other oh amazing amazing so what um and if i remember correctly you did your undergraduate at brock right Yes, I did. And I love Brock. I have to say, it will always hold a really great spot in my heart. I actually have a colleague right now from Brock and her, and I reminisce often. Um, yes, I started uh, my Bachelor's of Education at Brock. I was entered into um, the concurrent ed program because okay. I had had a mother who was an educational assistant, and she worked with uh, special needs children, and I really loved the work she did. And so I always wanted to be a teacher, honestly. Mm. Um, I realized very soon that I really wanted to be a high school teacher, so I completed my program there in intermediate senior, and actually to teach grades 7 to 12. And that was exciting, lots of placements, um, really great program, but it was actually in the last year of the program that I realized I was not going to be that type of teacher. Okay. <laughs> I really wanted to continue on. I had a... Um, professor who in my last year um, I was conducting a bit of a um, research study with him um, in a bit of a you know literature review type course and I walked in one day really frustrated about a friend that had transferred credit from Brock University to um, the University of Florida and received very little credit um, honestly uh, had conducted about two years at Brock University and only received about a year and I remember walking oh, wow. in his office that day and I was really frustrated and he had said what is occurring 
so I told him and he had said, let's research it. And we did. And from there, I really realized that I really loved research. It was exceptional. And I loved post-secondary theory and the studies and the governance and curriculum and the policy was really exciting to me. So from there, I realized in the last year of the concurrent ed program at Brock that I really wanted to do the master's program. Uh, It was really exceptional for me to move on. So I moved into the master's program right afterwards. I applied um, directly and went into that program. They have a curriculum teaching learning program at Brock. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't have a specific higher education program, honestly. Um, But what's great about Brock is that although they don't have a program like say the University of British Columbia or the University of Toronto at OISE or where I am at MUD, it's interesting um, because they have a lot of folks that work in higher education that were able to supervise such work and also a great amount of coursework. I don't know if a lot of people know that about Brock, but they have a great amount of higher education courses available to folks who study in curriculum teaching and learning and other disciplines there. Cool. Yeah, it was a great opportunity, and I really, really enjoyed it there. And during that time, I actually got to go out and uh, study a little bit at the University of British Columbia. It wasn't uh, it wasn't really in the cards at the time, but I ended up looking at credit transfer for my master's. As you can imagine, I was interested in students moving credits between colleges and universities and, you know, how they were recognized, what the policies were, what the downfalls were of a lot of these um, situations. And British Columbia had a really great system of credit transfer. Um, the you know one of the oldest and most established in Canada along with Alberta. So I actually headed out there um, and became a transfer student honestly oh, wow. um, because they were willing to actually have me take a couple courses at the University of British Columbia and transfer them back to Brock University. And in true form I had some difficulties doing that. <laughs> and I know the credit transfer is a little more uh, problematic at the graduate level. But Honestly, I didn't expect to be researching it while having my own personal difficulties with transferring credit. So it was a full meta, I guess, analysis at that point. Oh my gosh, like very much you're living your own kind of case study. (laughs) It was insanity, honestly. It was a bit of a joke. And I remember the individual that I was working with at the time at Brock University, Michael Kopp, who I owe so much to, just laughed. And he said, that's okay this is all part of the research. This is all going to make it that much richer because you're actually going to understand what that process looks like um, firsthand and how it felt (laughs) to be judged on a few levels about whether or not those credits should be taken back or not. You know, the rigor of the curriculum at institutions and equivalency details. So it was, it was actually quite great in the end. I can laugh about it now. (laughs) And so your, it sounds like your entry point was mostly through this kind of research um kind of more academic point were you also involved in your graduate or undergraduate experiences kind of in campus life or in student life programs and services in any way I was uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, I served on quite a few committees as um, the grad repre- uh, representative, so I was involved in quite a few um, activities. And I also um, had been a teaching assistant for a great amount of time. So I was actually a teaching assistant in many courses, um, as well as I was very involved in residence. So I have to say residence life was actually probably one of my first entry points into student service and affairs. Um, I found that I really loved the activities that were organized the leadership and the training that was provided. Um, I was really appreciative of that. And I think that's when I really realized that 
there is a you know a whole um, student experience that a lot of us never really get to fully know. And so I was very thankful at Brock University for being able to enter into residence because it gave me a perspective of what those services looked like very early, honestly. And I probably wouldn't have otherwise, but I really did take on those activities. And I, I was one of those, uh, I think, individuals who volunteered for everything. And so <laughs> that was very helpful. So it was an entry through residence life, um, but it actually morphed more into governance in the end. I really appreciated sitting on many of the committees, and that continued as I entered my PhD program at the University of Toronto at OISE. Um, I started uh, to really take on that role there and understand more and more how the university actually operates and what the positions are and how policies are actually made, which was something I didn't actually plan on learning about firsthand, but it complemented the courses very well. Oh, yeah, you're in the room where it happens. You're participating in the decision-making process. That was it. And I think that sometimes we don't realize how much discussion in those forums means, Mm. um, how we actually bring an item to the table. You want a new course or a new program. Um, You know, you don't normally realize how or what the rigor is behind doing that and how long these things can take. Uh, We we joke sometimes that institutions move at glacial paces, but we also have to understand the structures, um, you know, and the ladder that all of these items need to be brought up to in order to pass um, through governance processes. And so that was exciting. And in my current role um, as an assistant professor, I have, I find that much more knowledge sometimes, uh, even compared to some of my colleagues about how this actually works because I've had years worth as a student of actually being privileged enough to sit in the rooms, as you say, and actually hear the conversation. So um, you kind of were talking about how your experience in the committees and stuff kind of uh, continued on as you began your PhD. Can we take a step back and can you tell me a little bit about your decision to pursue a PhD? Did you know that's something you always wanted to do? What motivated you to apply? Tell me, take me back to when you're considering um, your options in terms of doctoral work. Sure. So that's a great question because I have to say the goal was to be a teacher. <laughs> and I actually didn't plan on pursuing the master's. I was actually very shocked. Um, this was never the plan. I think some folks just know that they want to go on to graduate school and others just, you know, come about it in various avenues. And that was myself. I didn't plan on conducting a master's. And when I had, you know, actually had that in mind, um, I thought that that would actually be the end point. I would exit after that. But what I found during my master's program is that uh, with the research project that I took on, looking at how the, uh, the um, you know, British Columbia looks at credit transfer and what the processes were, and then looking at um, the various agencies that conduct this through Canada, I realized really quickly after completing that master's that I, I really wanted to continue with the research. There was more to know, honestly. Um, and I had heard really wonderful things about the University of Toronto at OISE. I actually applied widely. I think I applied to almost 20 PhD programs, um, which Whoa. may seem a little odd. Um, I know it's a great amount, but the reason was I applied internationally as well. Okay. So I really wanted to see what was available in Europe. Um, I applied to a few in Europe. I applied to a few in the United States and then across Canada. Um, at the time, 
I was interested in various programs. So McGill Queens University, um, for example, it was interesting. McGill had a wonderful, um, you know, higher education, but it was more focused on culture because they don't necessarily have a program in um, higher ed, but they have a program in education for focused on cultures. Um, and I thought that would be very interesting looking cultures that make up in the communities that make up higher education. And then Queen's University had a wonderful program as well um, that I was really interested in within the Canadian landscape. And, uh, you know, ironically enough, the University of British Columbia educational studies that's focused on higher education. And I laugh at that one a little bit because I was still in the process of trying to secure whether or not transfer credits would be accepted um, <laughs> when they had admitted me into the PhD program. <laughs> so I had to laugh because I think when they had admitted me into the PhD program, the conversations about equivalency and my level of work and academic rigor, um, all of a sudden, you know, was realized that, well, you've admitted me to the PhD program, so I think we could probably accept my courses at the mass. It was interesting. You know, I really was excited in programs because we have wondered and that was the preference. But I also wanted to see what was out there internationally. I wasn't necessarily, I just figured if I'm going to move on and do this PhD, which I never expected to do, I should really see what's out there because I hadn't been researching this for a long time. You can imagine having just you know come across this. I realized this was going to take some work. And so then you, you decided to move to Toronto and go to OISE. I did. I decided um, I was very lucky and did have multiple offers, but I really did decide in the end that the University of Toronto at OISE would be a wonderful spot. Um, I loved the program there. I mean, to have a program just focused on higher education is quite exceptional. And also, I started to get to know a few of the government agencies as well as the higher education agencies. So um, at the time, there was the Higher Education Quality Council of Ontario, HECO. Um, we had had um, the uh, you know Credit Transfer um, Council, which wasn't on CAT, um, the Ontario Council on Articulation of Learning as it is now. Um, but in those days, it existed in another form under the CUCC. Um, and under that, I realized at OISE that these folks who were working there um, actually got to work with government and higher education agencies every day. Mm. They had various grants from these agencies. They got to sit down in the rooms with these folks. Their research was actually being implemented and being funded firsthand. And so unlike some of the other institutions, which were quite wonderful, this had a very strong tie, I think, being in Toronto. It's a very privileged spot to be in, honestly, because of all the agencies being there, the discussions being very lively and active. Um, it's almost like a hot wire that you got to jump right into. And I didn't know that I was going to get that experience anywhere else. So moving to Toronto was exciting. I am a country girl. It was very different. And I love Toronto. And I, you know, would move back in a heartbeat. I really do love Toronto. Um, it's a wonderful spot to be in. I love the program there. Um, but I noticed um, in enrolling, there was a variety of courses as well, because the University of Toronto at OISE just has exceptional faculty. Um, these folks are internationally recognized. They're conducting great research projects. Um, they have a lot of impact in their research projects, as I've already shared. And they had great teams. Um, mm. Some 
PhD programs have the focus as teaching assistantships as the default, and OISE interestingly has research assistantships as the default. So the default at OISE was that in order to obtain funding for the program, along with the you know scholarship you received, you would actually be involved with working with faculty on various projects. And I have to say, it made the greatest connections. It really did. It really um, got me to a point where I thought, if I can you know, work towards being an assistant professor in the future and entering that field, I would really like to. There's many other options. I loved policy, and I really loved working um, in government. I thought that that was a wonderful venue. Um, and those things were open um, to me at the time upon graduating from the PhD program. But I realized in getting to work closely with these professors at OISE that they start to shadow what the process looks like. And I think if you know, you're know you interested in that, it becomes a great process because you learn about it firsthand, which you might not normally get to do. So the folks there were very open. We're going to apply for a grant and we're going to have you assist in putting that together because you're going to need to know this. Or you know, we're having some tribulations with research ethics at the moment, here's the questions they're asking and why they matter. Um, all of these things are really presented um, to you to learn more about. And I think that's around the time when I first met you was when you were kind of on one of these research teams. Can you tell me a little bit about, was that the supporting student success team? Is that what that was called? Yes, um, that was one of the first teams I had joined. I had joined a few, but the supporting student success team was really wonderful because I think that for me uh, became a moment to actually research student affairs and services and understand what that meant. As I said, I had a background in that area. I don't know that I knew what research looked like mm, in that area. Mm-hmm. So um, Dr. Tricia Seifert um, is a wonderful, uh, just wonderful, wonderful colleague that I can't say enough about, and I know that you've interviewed her in the past. Uh, she was at the University of Toronto at OISE. She started the year I started. We both started in September at the same time. And what was great about that is I was put on her team right away because I had applied to her posting, being very interested in what this looked like given my background. And she had sat down, I'll always remember it, we went downstairs to the bottom of Boise where the cafe is and we grabbed a coffee and a pastry and we sat there and she said to me, we're colleagues we're going to work on this together. I'm new to OISE. I'm going to navigate this the same as you are. Um, we will be equals on this project. We're going to bounce ideas off each other. We're going to write together. We're going to research together. We're going to figure this out. And I thought that was exceptional because in that moment, she really did just reduce any hierarchies that you know we sometimes think are prevalent within yeah. the academy. She brought it right down to the fact that we are going to do this together and we're going to figure this out. And I love that because I have many questions. I mean, she had been doing this previously, this lovely work, um, you know, in the United States, and had brought over all of this really interesting knowledge. I mean, she had worked with Ernie Pascarella, and that was absolutely wonderful in terms of having that knowledge available to her as one of the gurus in the field. And so for her to bring that um, to the University of Toronto at OISE was amazing. And to be able to work with her on that first project, that project spanned the entire time I was at the University of Toronto at OISE with her. And I got to work on other teams, I have to say. Um, Tony Chambers was there at the time in Student Service and Affairs, and he also is in the United States right now, but he had a team, actually, um, 
in the Center um, for the Experience of Students in Post-Secondary Education, and I worked with his team as well. And so it was great to work with many teams, but Trisha's was exceptional in the sense that we're still working together. What was nice is when I received this position that month, and she had assisted me in getting there by writing those wonderful letters of reference, um, we continued together, and now we're co-PIs on various projects, and we're still working with the data that was collected and still putting out new pieces together. And one of the projects in particular, Blueprints for Student Success, she's taken on the United States um, section of that project, and I've taken actually on the Canadian section of that project. And that project looks at actually educating high school students about student services affairs in their last years of study so that they know what that looks like coming into our universities and colleges because we found in that work that she had conducted that students learned about student services and affairs in various ways, but it may not always be the way we would hope. Uh, they would learn about it during the moment of crisis or they would learn about it, um, you know, when the necessity arose or in their third and fourth year when they were almost done, you know, university at times or in their last year of college. Or we found, interestingly enough, from international students who had really wonderful entry programs um, that, you know, were available to them um, in a little more detail than maybe domestic students at times. So it's great because I'm still working on that with her and we're still creating new items and presenting and we had a discussion just a couple weeks ago. So that relationship in that PhD program and that openness that she had has honestly spanned my entire time working in this area um, to present day, which is really quite exceptional. That really is. I don't know if there's a lot of experiences where folks who would start a relationship or a project in the first little bit of their doctorate work would carry on into their into their teaching and their research career as an assistant professor. No, it's been honestly exceptional and I really do owe that to Trisha Seifert and I also have to say that the team that she surrounded herself with, there were many of us who worked on that team. I think um, honestly probably about eight or ten of us over time. And what's interesting in that is that all of that team actually currently works in student services and affairs or has become faculty who teaches student services and affairs. So you can see that she's really quite influential and what was great about that team is that I think I learned just as much from the team of individuals who are working on the project um, as I did from her because I think we know in this to be true in student service and affairs is that the expertise is in the room. Mm -hmm. um, these folks live this every day and so those members who were working in the area well on the research team with her, they were contributing so much and I always recognize that with my students too. I tell them, you know, if you're in my course and you're in the registrar, you do that work every day or you're in career services, you know that like the back of your hand. You know, I'm here to add some of the theory and the, you know, philo you know philosophical pieces to the profession, but you're we're going to bring all of that practical experience in new nuanced ways that this course or the courses I'm teaching will not run the same way <laughs> any one time. They're always going to be different because of the folks that are actually sitting in the room and what they add to it as adult learners, which is different from a lot of our other education programs, I think. Absolutely. So, so you're wrapping up. Okay, we're fast forwarding through a lot of like really hard work. You write a dissertation, you conduct research, <laughs> um, and you cr and you cross the stage and you're a doctor, Dr. Arnold. And then did you did you have a sense of what was going to happen after you finished your um, your doctorate or were you kind of exploring different possibilities? What was your what was going through your head around that time? 
so that yeah, so that's interesting because a little mixed, honestly. So I knew what the short term looked like, but I didn't know what the long term looked like. So at the time, which was really interesting, is that I actually had started a postdoctoral fellowship at OISE. So what was interesting is in the last year, actually, of the PhD program, I had uh, worked with Dr. Lisa Wheelahan, and she had come to the University of Toronto at OISE from Australia um, and had been working um, actually in credit transfer, which was my area, along with pathways for students for some time. And when she had entered OISE, I was actually paired up with her um, for a research assistant. Um, given my expertise in the area and that she was learning more about this Canadian context and that she had all of this great wealth to bring internationally that I would really benefit from. And so she had been composing a SHRC application to look at Canadian mobility and pathways um, through education and work at the time. And we had actually put that together along with a few other uh, individuals who were working at OISE. And so we had put that together and she had said to me, if this succeeds and we actually receive the SHRC grant, you know, this, this will be your postdoctoral fellowship. And so it was interesting because we found out a couple months beforehand that she had been successful in receiving that grant. And what was nice about that is I actually was able to start um, probably about a month before I graduated and walked across the stage. So I actually had to get time off from Dr. Lisa Wheelahan in order to attend the graduation ceremony, (laughs) which was not an issue. She was wonderful and said, oh my goodness, obviously. She also gave me great time, you know, to you have to wrap up your dissertation by submitting it to ProQuest and putting through all the final versions. She had said, you know, please take the week and, you know, conduct all of that official, um, final, I guess, documentation and, you know, celebrations. Um, But I actually had been working, um, honestly, around the clock on her postdoc at the time um, when I actually graduated. So I was exhausted, I have to say. Um, One of the folks in the department at OISE actually had said to me, we know that a lot of our students actually tend to get sick, you know, they come down with a bit of a head cold or, you know, uh, headaches and things like that after they finish the doctoral program, we find, because they've been working so hard Mm. for so long that when their body actually takes a rest, they tend to get sick. And so she had said to me, you know, you're probably not finding that though because you've been working on this project already. (laughs) And I said, no, there's been no lull. (laughs) There's just been kind of, you know, full tilt all the time. But I have to say I was very thankful for that because I think otherwise I would have rocked across that stage with probably a great amount of excitement, but a great amount of anxiety, not knowing what came next. And so I knew what the short term looked like. I still didn't know what the long term looked like. So there was still a lot of anxiety there because I thought, okay, this is a two-year postdoc, which was really wonderful. Um, but at the end of the two years, I was going to have to find you know, something else. And I didn't know what that was going to look like, honestly. Um, I had worked for the Higher Education Quality Council of Ontario, HECO. Um, I had had the great privilege of working with ONCAT, the Ontario um, Council on Articulation and Transfer, and having them actually um, support my doctoral studies financially. And I had gotten to the Ministry of Training Colleges and Universities at the time, and I know that's not their uh, <laughs> their uh, you know uh, name at the moment. 
Um, they've had a bit of a name shift recently, but I had the privilege of working with all of them. And so I thought, well, maybe that would be a wonderful route because I had a great amount of colleagues involved in those areas. Um, but also, as I said, I, I really did, though, want to see if I could obtain a assistant professorship in this area because I love teaching. I mean, my background was as a high school teacher. I wanted to teach. Right. <laughs> Research is great, and it is a real passion of mine. And the reason I started down this graduate program, as you know, um, but at the same point in time, I wanted to teach. That's what it's all about for me. So knowing that I really wanted to do that, um, I thought, you know, this was something I wanted to pursue. So luckily, actually, I only made it um, through the first year of that postdoc because luckily I was actually offered the position at Munn halfway through. And I have to say, Lisa Wheelahan was really wonderful because she supported me in applying to this position. I had said to her I was not conducting a large search. This just happened to be a position in student service and affairs and student success that I'm really interested in. There's very few in Canada. Uh, my family's from Atlantic Canada originally, and so I really did also have an affinity for, you know, this landscape and, you know, the people here. And I really wanted um, to take on this opportunity. I said to her, I know that's going to lead you halfway through this postdoc that I've given you my word. And she said, no, you take that position and I will support you and write the letters and have you practice your job talk. And she was exceptional along with Dr. Gavin Moody um, in terms of assisting me with that. So that's how I made the transition, I guess, you know, from the doctoral studies into the postdoc and then from the postdoc into an assistant professorship. It was all very seamless, which is interesting considering that that's not always the path. And I think I was very um, lucky to have folks that were able to support me in that and to bring me to that level. Well, and I'm wondering if you might be able to explain for folks who don't understand, because it sounds like your postdoc was really, um, had some funding and there was some research that you're conducting, but how would you describe what it means to be a postdoc to someone who might not know? Yes, that's true. I think that there are um, few postdoctoral positions and that it's not always well known what that looks like. And so what was great about the postdoc is that um, typically you're working very closely with a professor, a group of professors, and I actually got to work with a few um, at the time. And you're working typically on a project. And so this was a large project across Canada looking at pathways um, between education and into the workforce and looking at how that looks for various disciplines because it does vary depending on whether you're in business administration or whether you're in education or social work. And so what was great about that postdoctoral position is typically you're putting a little more of a leadership position because, you know, through your post, uh, through your doctoral studies, you may have conducted research with folks, but it was really their research project. And this is a moment where, although you're working with someone on their research project, it starts to become your own as well. You're given a little more leadership. And so what's great about that is I was actually given that leadership position in the sense that I was actually the one organizing uh, how this project was going to run. And so it was really great because Lisa Wheelahan had given me the opportunity to organize all the meetings, to um, organize all of the graduate assistants, which was a pretty large team working on that project, um, as well as the budget. Um, the ethics applications. It was really quite wonderful. Um, Data collection and training. I was actually able to organize and put together um, all of those facets. And she was great, similar to Trisha Seifert, who I mentioned earlier, in terms of 
we're going to work on this together and I want you to be the one to take the lead. Um, you know, I want you to inform us about what training is going to need to occur for various data and, you know, Statistics Canada data sets and what that will look like. I want you to, you know, organize the meetings, um, you know, in terms of pay, you know, from the patients, um, practicing with the groups and making sure they were on board. It was a moment to actually start to, I guess, teach and learn from the grad assistants on the project who are okay. in their doctoral studies and in their master's studies. So in this moment, I feel like it's a moment where you actually almost take a step up. You know, you're not at that professorship level, but you take a step up even or two because you start to realize um, more and more what it actually takes to run a program of research. And that's a large undertaking. It's one thing when you're working on a project for your doctoral studies, but a program of research means various projects, various analyses occurring at once, various team members, making sure they all get paid, you know, making <laughs> sure that the budgets balance at the end of the day for year one of a shirt grant, um, obtaining funding. You know, I say a shirt grant, um, and it's interesting because obtaining that funding and what those grants look like. In my postdoc, uh, Lisa Wheelahan and the team had received funding from multiple arenas. It wasn't just SHRC. And so that was interesting as well because you're juggling many balls. Um, it's not just one funding agency. It becomes many funding agencies with many timelines and many rules, right, around what you're able to spend money on and not able to spend money on and where you're able to disseminate the work. And it's interesting um, and honestly really does prepare you for whatever the venue is that's coming next. And so for me, I really want to be an assistant professorship. And so they really tailored that um, experience to that goal. But postdocs can be for many, many areas. Um, a lot of them were occur in um, curriculum teaching and learning centers. Um, they might occur with policy or government agencies. Um, Statistics Canada has many postdoctoral positions available. So postdocs can actually sit in an institution or with an organization and agency and generally be tailored or you would apply to those positions that read as though they're going to train you or assist you um, in the position you would hope to come out at the end and have those references and that background of those networks. I think it's a time to build the networks, build the knowledge and the energy and the leadership so that you would know how to function in that position if given the opportunity in the end. Well, and it sounds like that's exactly what happened because Mun came a knocking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mun came a knocking and I was so thrilled. I flew out um, for the interview and it was really... Uh, quite intense because we had had a very large snowstorm in Toronto at the time and luckily it had cleared and so I thought oh good I'm going to make it out this is good I'm going to actually make it to the interview and what was interesting is to back around and go back to Halifax because the winds were so intense in Newfoundland we actually couldn't land the plane could not land so at that point I actually ended up getting in, I waited until 12 o'clock midnight and getting in at 3 a.m. for my interview the next day, but I made it to the interview, and I have to say, halfway through the day, I knew that it was going well, and I really loved the people here, and I thought, this is really wonderful. If they offer me this position, um, you know, I, I really need to be here and to make a mark on this program. What was great about MUN and why 
good position is that first, there's very few, as I said earlier, positions in student service and affairs in Canada as faculty. Um, and we know that group, that select wonderful group that gets to work in this area. But also, MUN was the home to this program. Um, MUN was one of the first institutions to offer student services and affairs programming, um, to be able to offer students an entry point into higher education or post-secondary education studies. So it was really great historically to actually be able to say that you were going to contribute to a program that really put this on the mark uh, professionally within Canada, which is quite great. Um, And really, I have to pinch myself every day continues to occur and those leaders are still here and I get to work with which is exceptional so tell me about your your life as a as a faculty member um tell what courses are you teaching what are you researching what's what's on your mind (laughs) sure so the courses I teach um as I said earlier I teach a bit of undergrad and graduate but mainly graduate courses um they are all in student service and our program is fully online, which is interesting because that means that folks across Canada um, in these positions can actually enroll in the courses. And so I see folks from British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, um, Ontario, um, all the way these programs. And so the courses I teach are the administration of student services for the adult learner, which is really great because we look at student services with a lens on adult. So we look at theories, um, the practical focus looks like for adult learners in colleges and universities, um, and then where we need to head, because we know at times that student affairs and services doesn't always, um, you know, reflect the needs of some of these adult learners, and so we look at, you know, what's next, what's coming down the way um, for those folks. Um, One of my favorite courses is student development theory, services, and programs. This is where I really get to talk about all the different theories um, of student development. So the psychosocial and the cognitive structural and the humanistic existential and the person environment. Uh, We get to talk about all of those theories um, and what that means and the philosophy and the models of practice and the core competencies that really make up the profession and apply them in a very practical way. And then my last course is um, the administration of student services. So we look at the organization and the leadership styles, um, looking at the chief student affairs officer position mainly, um, and what issues come up around staffing and services, um, students' ethics, judicial protocols, and partnerships, honestly, among faculty and other divisions in uh, institutions that make a unit work. So those are the courses that I teach. I particularly love the student development theory, services and programs course, as I said, because I think Carney Strange said it best. Um, you know, what distinguishes a profession um, work is really your ability to bring these reasoned expl- explanations grounded in evidence to a phenomenon um, in which you claim expertise. And I think that's what these programs and student services and affairs actually really offer folks who are already working in the field or who are entering the field or thinking about the field is that you actually get to bring some of these student development theories and the explanations and the knowledge of how students learn and grow and mature during their experiences um, to to the programs you're operating and to the initiatives that you're putting in place for students. So I love that course in particular because I think there's a lot of practical application, which is exciting. And you can, you can see it in the students enrolled in the course. You can see the excitement and that they're applying it to the area that they work in, which is really quite great. 
Um, with regard to my research, I've been, as I said, still working on the Supporting Student Success Project as well as Blueprints for Student Success, that piece about high school students and educating them. What's exciting about the Blueprints for Student Success Project is that we had developed a really great module when I was working with um, Trisha Seifert about just how to educate students generally about what student service and affairs look like. And we went out to Pathways for Education groups in Toronto. There's four groups in Toronto, and those groups are looking at at-risk students um, who are going to apply to colleges or universities. And we actually ran the modules um, introducing student service affairs to those groups. And it went so well that they said, you should really bring you know, this research that went to practice, now bring the practice back to research, complete the circle, that full 360. And in doing that, conduct a little more research in terms of what various modules could look like. Could there be a financial aid module? Could there oh, be a career services okay. module? Right? Yeah. Could there be a little more focused in terms of student communities on campus? Or what does it look like, um, you know, to actually, uh, you know, student clubs, for example. So what was great is that I'm involved in that right now. My startup grant at MUN is actually to um, go out across our Canadian institutions, um, some of them that were involved in Trisha's work and others that are not, um, across the provinces in Canada and actually interview um, and uh, conduct focus groups with those folks who work in those areas. So for example, we kind of call them buckets on the project um, or catchment areas, if you will. So if you're working in career services, um, I may be coming to you soon um, to look at what are the pedagogical pedagogical approaches that you use to actually teach about career services and what's offered on your campuses. What are some of the, you know, the pedagogies as well as the marketing and how do you inform students about what makes up that bucket or that area or that catchment um, specifically. And so what I'm doing is going out across those institutions and actually interviewing and having focus groups of folks who work in all of those areas to conduct, um, you know, a bit of a scan in terms of what they look like and what makes up that area. Um, as Trisha Seifert had said, I don't know that we've had a study that's done that, really questioned or turned on its head, what makes up your area and what makes it distinct from others areas or other units um, within student affairs and services divisions and how specifically do you educate students about who you are at the end of the day so at the moment i'm back in the research um, and then hoping to turn that into modules um, and go out and pilot those within atlantic canada um, as um, central canada um, with students to see how that knowledge um, heading into colleges and universities actually impacts the way they're going to use and access services. So that's one of my largest projects right now with regard to this area. I've also had the wonderful um, opportunity to work over the past uh, couple of years on a landscape of accessibility and accommodation for post-secondary students. And so what was great about that project is we were looking at students with disabilities across Canada. Um, the Disability Act, uh, the Federal Disability Act was actually being renewed and the government was looking for information on what were the policies and procedures and the technologies um, as well as curricula that are assisting students with disabilities um, across the Canadian landscape and what that looks like. And so we were actually able to conduct some of that work um, and report back as well as an opportunity that came up specifically on looking at the experience of credit transfer students with disabilities and so that was combining my credit transfer higher education policy work with the 
affairs and services work to see how students with disabilities are moving between institutions and how student services and affairs are supporting those transitions. Because we know it can be quite difficult to obtain, um, you know, the permissions, the accommodations, uh, funding, um, as well as assistance when moving between institutions and that you can become very comfortable and well-established at a college, for example, and then move into a baccalaureate at a, you know, university and maybe have difficulty with some of the same accommodations that you had had previously or they may look a little different. And so being able to self-advocate is really important. And so those are some of the projects I'm working on right now. Um, along with always some credit transfer projects because <laughs> I think my heart will always be with credit transfer and I've been really lucky to work with a few folks um, across Ontario actually, um, 20 of them along with some international scholars from South Africa and Australia, um, the United Kingdom um, and it's been really great to work with them on credit transfer and learning outcomes and how we might be able to move our understanding of how transitions work forward. We're going to have um, a book coming out with McGill Queen's University Press looking at learning outcomes for credit transfer and the tribulations that occur as well as some of the successes um, that, you know, that, that work entails um, with the learning that occurred internationally. Sometimes we want to move forward with policy in Canada and we have to take a step back and look over the fence to our neighbors who have been doing this for a while and look at some of those lessons learned before we move forward. So credit transfer always dear to my heart, but many um, student service and affairs projects as well. Christine, it sounds like just a really great gig. You have these amazing classes that you get to teach <laughs> with these incredible students and these amazing lines of inquiry to pursue kind of some very interesting areas of research that have very material kind of applications for students. It sounds like just like a really good gig. It is a really good gig. And on top of that, you get to um, be really involved in student service and affairs opportunities on campus. Uh, one of the big things that I've made sure of since I came to mine, um, given that my roots were, as I said, a lot of experience in student service and affairs in my undergrad and graduate programs, are to not lose that as well. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you're a faculty member in student affairs and services in Canada or anywhere, um, you know, assisting those folks and learning from those folks should really still be top of mind. So not only do I get to, you know, research and teach, but I get to participate um, with all of those staff members on campus. So I volunteer for our welcome week. Um, I sit out there with a red t-shirt on with the ask me sign on it at MUD. <laughs> I attend our articulation ceremonies. Um, I haven't missed one since I've been here. Um, I really make sure to attend all of the different webinars and the opportunities that have are being presented. We had a webinar last week, actually, that was organized by Student Life, looking at universal design for learning practices um, and how I'm implementing them in my classroom. It's really great to be able to not only teach and research, but to work with everyone um, in this field and then bring those experiences to the classroom, too, because you want to make sure that you're active in what you're teaching, if that makes sense. It absolutely does make sense. And before, I mean, I, I'm really mindful of time. I feel like this could go on forever. And before, so I maybe have one last question before we get into the rapid fire is, what is something that you think people, most people would be surprised to learn about the work of a faculty member? Uh, surprised to learn, I think, is 
it's interesting, maybe not a surprise, but students make this position, honestly. Um, the students that I get to work with um, are really quite exceptional, and they do teach you so much. Um, I, you know, my courses are online. Um, what I think might be shocking is how close you can actually become with the students that you're teaching online, mm. um, as well as those who are working with you day to day, um, you know, who would actually step in your office. I have a variety. I have those who work on campus who can step in my office. Um, last week, I went out for pizza in the evening with a student that I'm supervising. Um, she's actually looking at music um, as well as art um, on campus within student affairs and services and how we educate students, get them engaged in first year. But you really do become close and you learn from these folks. Um, one of the largest things I think this year was for me is I had a student who I've worked with for three years. She's been in my courses. She's worked with me as a research assistantship, um, as well as being able to support her for various scholarships and items that have come up along the way. And I didn't get to meet her until she walked across that graduation stage. And then we went for coffee the next day. Yet when we sat down for coffee, I felt as if I had known her forever. It was really wonderful to see if you really, I think, care about the students and they care about your work and they're excited, it doesn't matter the distance. Um, and even if you are on campus with your students every day, you can become really close with them. And honestly, at the end of the day, the stories that I come home and tell my spouse are about students. He'll say 75% of the you know, items that I come home and talk about, my excitement and my you know, utter, oh my goodness, guess what happened today, is a student. Honestly, and that maybe that's not surprising. Maybe that doesn't answer the question very well. But I've just noticed how much I really receive from those positions, and that I think that's probably why going back to Trisha Seifert and myself as a student in day one, uh, I think that she recognized that in her students, and I'm recognizing that in mine, which is really wonderful—a full circle moment. That's really wonderful, and I think if anyone is even considering doing a, a master's at MUN. I think they just need to listen to this interview. I think this is like the greatest advertisement for that program if they get the chance to work with someone like you. <laughs> oh, thanks. It's great. And I have to say that we also, as a faculty member, one of the other maybe surprising things is that there's many uh, options and resources available if you are working in student service and affairs as a faculty member. We have the caucus and ACPA and NASPA YouTube channel that I use in my course. Student Affairs Live is so exceptional. I use that in my course all the time. With microblogging and Twitter, there's Campus Sherpa and Student Affairs Grad. And then the Student Affairs Collective um, organization is great as well. So I just have to say that no matter where you're working, there's some really great opportunities to connect with folks around the country um, and internationally as well with regard to this work. Oh, like I said before, I could just keep picking your brain for hours and hours, but I think uh, I just want to respect your time <laughs> and maybe start moving into the, <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. To the rapid fire questions. Um, and so sure. uh, this might be a tough one because you're, you're near an ocean, but ocean or lake? Oh, it's got, yeah, I, I grew up by a lake, but it's the ocean. It's yeah. so beautiful. I purchased a home this year out here in Newfoundland, and we get a beautiful, beautiful view of the ocean of Belle Island. So I'm a biased ocean. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, do you have any nicknames? I do. Uh, many, actually. Um, teen 
because, you know, Christine, Teen, Steen, Beanie <laughs> Baby, I am a small person. I'm a very short person. And so my family always used to call me Beanie Baby. <laughs> oh, nice. It's like the Beanie Babies, you know, that you collected as a child, those little ones. They always used to, yeah, Beanie Baby. <laughs> um, if you were Embarrassing, to... but true. Yeah, no, that's very... Some of mine aren't shareable, so those are at least professional and appropriate to share. Um, if you were to host a podcast of your own, what would it be about? Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I think at the moment I really am, uh, I've been very uh, concerned with looking at uh, universal design for learning um, in our classrooms and online courses, as well as graduate student learning. So I think graduate student learning and maybe universal design for learning, I'm really interested in how we make courses and classrooms and projects accessible. So at the current moment, that's probably my, my area because it's exciting me. Um, I you know, have a good amount of knowledge in that area, but I'm also find I'm learning a lot because I, I don't you know, have a, a great background there. So I'm learning a great amount in that area. Oh, amazing. I would listen to that podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you, if you could go back to first year Christine, starting at Brock, what would you, what would you tell her if you could tell her anything? Yeah, I think I would tell her not to be so worried about having everything worked out or always having to be that A student. I was very concerned um, about, you know, how performance was throughout undergrad and, you know, grad courses. And I think when I started, I was very concerned about that. Um, I was actually the first um, person in my immediate family to go to university. And so I think as a first-gen student, there was a lot of pressure there, honestly, and a lot of unknowns. And I think I was probably very concerned at that time. And I think I really should have um, just enjoyed, you know, fully immersed myself in the experience and enjoyed that much more. I took on a lot of opportunities and clubs and groups and committees, but I think I probably should have let go a little more, honestly, been a little more free. <laughs> nice. Nice. I appreciate that. And I, I relate to some of that. Um so the last question we have, I mean, you know, this is a relay and we're starting uh, a new relay with you is, um, who are some folks that we should interview next? Sure. So I have two in particular for very different reasons. Um, Dr. Stephanie Waterman had started at the University of Toronto at OISE when I was actually in the postdoc, um, that first year of that postdoc. And what was interesting is that she had brought a wealth of information from the United States, um, as well as Indigenous and Aboriginal um, focus on student services and affairs and what that looks like. And so I'd had many great conversations with her, but honestly, our time was short. Um, you know, I asked, I moved on, I see her at conferences and we have, you know, a really great uh, amount of overlap in the work we do, but I would love to hear what her experience is, honestly, um, if you interview her, because I felt like I had so much more to learn from her and really didn't get to. And I've heard from the folks at OISE who are there right now as grad students that her teaching is really quite exceptional. A lot of experiential learning, a lot of really great moments in the classroom um, that she provides. So I think she would be my number one. Um, I also think that the second person 
for a very different reason I would want to interview would be um, Kathleen Clark, if you're able to. Oh, amazing. Uh, Kathleen actually graduated from the program on that way with me. And what I think is really exceptional is she just started in a student affairs and services um, uh, position at Laurier University. And so what I'd like to know from her is a little bit maybe the opposite of Stephanie. I want to know what the pressures are coming into a position and what she feels are going to be some of the hurdles or the jumps, um, you know, in that area. Um, I'm a little farther down the road, but I would love to hear from her what she's finding right now and what the landscape is suggesting. What is the work? What is her research program going to look like? Her and I have been having some of those conversations because we will work on a few projects together as we've continued to do on the Student Success Project. But I really want to know what she's going to look at as her own arena, because I know she mm. looks at students with disabilities. Um, she looks at mental health issues. Uh, she has some really great background that I don't. And so I would love to hear how she's going to put together her student teams and, you know, what courses she's teaching and what she's going to get to develop. When you start in a new faculty position, you always get to develop new courses. And I've been very lucky in doing that. I want to know what she's going to develop. Very cool. Those are two really great suggestions. Good. I'm glad. I hope so. <laughs> They're great individuals. Um, I'm sure you know both of them, and I think most folks do, but I'd love to hear from them because, I, yeah, I do think there's a lot to know and that all of us, although we work in this common area, uh, we all have a different background. I mean, I honestly didn't think today that you were going to ask me as much about my background as you did, but you know what was great in doing that is that you really see where you came from and how all those experiences have shaped where you are today. And when you were asking me about my research later on, I realized that every project has a piece in that student who started at Brock University all those years ago. <laughs> yeah, there there is, whether we do it on purpose or not, I think there is a through line with all of our professional and research and kind of student uh, activities and initiatives. There's, there is a, a thread that runs through it. There is. You weave the narrative, whether you know it or not. You yeah. weave the narrative. And so today, getting to talk about the narrative, this has just been exceptional. I really thank you. This was amazing. Well, thank you so much. Like, A, it was just so nice to catch up and hear your voice and hear how things are going for you um, out at MUN. And oh, I'm just I know. So... I miss you so much. <laughs> I miss you too. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Christine. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Adam, as always. And uh, yes, this is so so great to be a part of the podcast. I've listened forever. Um, you have a big fan in me. So actually getting to participate was beyond measure. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Have a good night. Bye, Christine. You too. Bye. That was really great, Adam. That's so good. I... I mean, I say this a lot, but I, I always need it. That could, I feel like it could have gone on for way longer. We would have had so much to talk about. Um, but I really just want to give a, a huge uh, expression of gratitude to Christine for her time uh, in, in participating in an interview. I learned a lot, and I just really appreciate it. Um, if folks want to uh, follow up with Christine on Twitter, um, they can follow her. I think it's at, at Christine A underscore M-U-N. Correct. And if they want to include us in that tag, uh, my handle is at NadsRoses and yours is at Adam Kewen. Include the hashtag RelayEssay. 
So thanks for listening to this episode. We want to give a shout out to Adrian Ross, who does our theme music. Thank you, Adro. And also, I think uh, it's a good chance for us to give a shout out to another podcast um, about student affairs in Canada. And David Ibiam, who is uh, someone who we've interviewed on the podcast, um, started a podcast called the Student Success Exchange. And so he's interviewing students that he works with and supports. Um, and those stories can be found, Nadia, is it, it's on Anchor? On Anchor, and people could also probably find it on Spotify, I believe. Yeah, so check it out. Always good to check out other stories of our, of our excellent work in Canada. Thank you, and stay tuned for season, sorry, episode two. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye.